get underway with another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. And welcome to it. little brief flirtation with some cooler, cloudy skies. But we do believe that spring is on its way to the state. And we just uh, also uh, know that uh, tomorrow we will be celebrating a kind of a Nebraska one and only in the country. I'm not sure how many states anymore really celebrate Arbor Day. Do you know that, uh, Susan Littlefield? I think pretty much just Nebraska. Mm -hmm. I think it used to be a little more widespread, but they had other more important things, I guess, that they had to get to besides trees on the plains. But here we are uh, tomorrow. We're uh, I don't know what kind of a celebration we're planning here. I bet a tree gets planted somewhere, though. That's what I'm betting, betting on. One or two around the state, I'm sure. And it looks like Mother Nature is going to, you know, keep keep it nice, too. Yeah. It does. Spring has uh, maybe finally sprung, and we will have the whole forecast picture here on your Rural Radio Network station as well. Uh, Susan, on the line here, finding out what we're going to be bringing you on today's midday program. And among those is kind of an interesting story about the National Beef Checkoff. Tell us about that. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. We're all on social media, and when you see something come from the uh, beef board that's talking about something about a new product or maybe promoting something that our producers are doing out in the country, all those tweets, all those Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever it is, has to be pre-approved by the USDA. Oh, vetting. And they can't say anything negative about another protein. So they can't say beef is better than fill in the blank it's not allowed so you know the usda is the governing body over the over the checkoff which we all know but i didn't know to what extent they go so mm-hmm. joan ruskamp will join us she's the chairman of the beef board and she will bring us up to date on all of that and the cool things as to what's been happening within the industry one of the more popular pickups has been the veal industry so we'll talk more about that as well also coming up um have you ever thought of doing agritourism well, Clay's going to have that at 1219 to talk about soft adventure agritourism. And there's a lot more coming up as we head into the midday from the farm team. All right. Thanks very much, Susan. Appreciate it. And I feel a draft, Jason Jorgensen. Yes, from down south in <laughs> Texas. That's where they're holding the draft for the next three days as the NFL gets the draft underway tonight. Cleveland at this point still has the number one pick. There's been talk for months about who they will go with, will they potentially trade it. Uh, They have the number one and the number four picks. Of course, we've seen them in this position before, and the guys they've picked have not panned out. (laughs) How often does that happen, though, where you're number one, quite highly touted? And uh, last night on cable, they were replaying the movie Draft Day, starring Kevin Costner in it. And in that movie, haven't seen it. He's the general manager of the Browns. They could maybe use Kevin calling the shots tonight. And then maybe they could get things turned around <laughs> there in Cleveland. Anybody, yeah. I, I love that show. That's a great movie. Also, we'll talk some NU baseball. Uh, they start a series tonight at home against Nevada. All right. And Bob Brogan's in with business. Well, everything's up right now. Up, up, and away. So stocks trading higher on Wall Street. Uh, Chip Oatley soared 24%. So even they're up. Also, a Union Pacific out with its... Uh, how it did in the first quarter of this year, and things are looking fairly bright for the railroads, so at least for Union Pacific. So we'll have that and more coming up. Thank you, Bob. And this is Midday on the Rural Radio Network. 
Paul Perkins steps in with a look at our ag weather, and it is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Reiki dealer. And what we're looking at is what appears to be some rain up there, but it's so windy it's not getting anywhere. That's probably the case, and probably also too dry at the surface for any of that water to hold together and probably just basically evaporate. But right now, radar showing some light rain from about Lexington down to McCook, but it's doubtful. Much of it is even making it to the ground. Haven't seen a drip (laughs) on the window here, but lots of wind out there. Yeah, plenty of it. We've got wind gusts up to the 30s right now. Temperatures luckily not too bad with the passage of this front. We're just going to call it a front because it's really not going to drop our temperatures a whole lot. Actually going to see milder temperatures today than what we saw yesterday, but Reedy's behind this front in the low and mid-50s, but we do have temperatures in the upper 50s to low 60s in advance of that front. Windy conditions with the passage of that front, maybe a little light rain or sprinkles, mainly just some sprinkles because any light rain is going to feel uh, be very brief with this system. The wind, though, going to make it feel a little bit cooler despite the temperatures that will be about 5 to 10 degrees warmer than what we saw yesterday. Our big warm-up underway for tomorrow as we see a ridge of high pressure build east from the Rockies. Strong south winds this weekend ahead of low pressure moving into the Pacific Northwest. We'll continue those warmer temperatures. Scattered thunderstorms will start to be possible Sunday night into Tuesday night as some disturbances off that low track to the east. Some of those storms could be severe. The greatest threat currently looks to be Monday afternoon and evening with the approach of a cold front. Tuesday, it looks like like that main threat for severe storms should be pushed to our southeast as that front moves away from us. Thunderstorm chances, though, will continue into Wednesday as that main low tracks onto the plains. With the lows passage and afterwards, the long-term temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas will be seasonal to slightly cooler than normal the first nine days of May. In the precipitation forecast, near normal to above normal precipitation is the call. For Nebraska and Kansas, the first nine days of May, looks like that higher chance of precipitation southern Nebraska into Kansas. So temperatures four inches down at seven this morning in the low 40s in all of Nebraska and practically all of Kansas, the exception over southeast Kansas where soil temperatures ranged 45 to 50. In the drought monitor released today, 80% of Nebraska is drought-free, abnormal dryness to moderate drought for continues from McCook and Curtis into the southeast part of Nebraska. Areas now abnormally dry include from around Aurora to to Seward, north to Fullerton and Columbus. So a new abnormal dryness area from Aurora to Seward, north to Fullerton and Columbus. There was a very slight improvement in Kansas. Cheyenne and Sherman County are drought-free. Abnormal dryness and moderate drought continue north of I-70 into extreme eastern Kansas right near and to the south of I-70 in severe drought, right along to the south of the Arkansas River, to McPherson and Marion, the highest stages of extreme to exceptional drought continue. In the markets, weather factors include a mix of mild and wetter conditions in the Midwest forecast and very little improvement for the Southern Plains drought. A Pacific storm will reach the Northern Plains early next week. A surge of warm air ahead of that western storm as warmer than normal temperatures overspread the Midwest. In the Midwest, those will offer only some improvement in field work and planning conditions. A moderate to heavy rain threat develops early next week, which will disrupt that progress. So I'm guessing a lot of people will be going full steam ahead this weekend. Mm-hmm. For the Southern Plains wheat and pasture areas, this only means a slight improvement from the drought conditions. And expect an increase in rain chances through next week will not be enough to ease the drought. 
in Brazil's central crop areas. There will be another round of dry weather through early next week. The soil moisture currently favorable for the second crop corn. The onset of the dry season may be underway, and that could mean reduced moisture for filling corn in crop areas of central Brazil. Ag information brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. And so I guess if you had to choose right now whether to get your raincoat, which might blow off, and your umbrella, which might blow out, (laughs) I'm not sure that there's much you can do besides just maybe stay indoors today. It's not that pleasant. No, those winds are very, very strong. Luckily, we're not getting those cold temperatures that we had just mere weeks ago here. Yeah. So, here we go. And, yeah, those gusts up to a quarter, probably uh, closing in on 40 miles per hour if you're out in those, those open areas. So, take that into account today. And when you need weather anytime, krbn.com. Legislatures set their sights on the future with beginning Farmer Bill. I'm Shaley Peters with you on the Rural Radio Network as we take a midday look at your ag news. Today, a bipartisan coalition led by Senators Heidi Heidkamp and Susan Collins introduced the Next Generation in Agriculture Act, or S-2762, which will drive investments in the 2018 Farm Bill toward programs and policies that create economic opportunity for beginning farmers and ranchers. Farming and ranching is a way of life in North Dakota, but to ensure it stays that way, we have to support young and beginning farmers and ranchers, said Senator Heitkamp. We must do more to cultivate the next generation of family farmers, and that's what the bipartisan bill is about, giving young Americans the tools they need to succeed in agriculture and keep our rural communities strong. With the number of new farmers and ranchers falling and our current population of farmers aging, this this bill would take important steps to maintain strong tradition of family farming and help new farmers and ranchers launch successful careers. The Next Generation in Agriculture Act will help keep more current farm operations in production and better prepare more beginning producers to start successful businesses by empowering new farmers with skills to succeed in today's agricultural economy by permanently reauthorizing the Beginning Farmer and Rancher Development Program. It expands the Beginning Farmer's access to land by scaling up resources for farm transition and succession planning, ensuring equitable access to federal crop insurance by expanding crop insurance incentives to better support beginning farmers and managing risk on their farms and increasing coordination, outreach, and technical assistance between U.S. Department of Agriculture programs that provide resources to young, beginning, and retiring farmers. And Deering Company plans to construct a new 33,000-square-foot facility at the Iowa State University Research Park as a design and test lab for agricultural spraying and applications technology. The facility is expected to be completed by summer 2019. As a leader in precision agriculture, John Deere is focused on providing customers with innovative, high-quality products and services, said Aaron Wetzel, Deere's vice president of global crop care platform at John Deere. Our customers will benefit from this investment as the spray lab is expected to enhance product design and improve our development cycle. Wetzel said the new test center will allow increased collaboration with ISU faculty and students. In 2017, Deere opened a strategic technology innovation center in the ISU Research Park to collaborate with the company's business units and complement John Deere's global network of technology and innovation centers. Some employees from that center will be located in the new building, And here recently, the Kansas Department of Agriculture hosted a trade mission to South Africa to attend the Sorghum in the 21st Century Conference, Food, Feed, and Fuel in a Rapidly Changing World. Sorghum is a key export crop for Kansas farmers, totaling $515 over the last three years. 
The conference allowed the group to interact with more than 400 sorghum breeders, researchers, sorghum seed companies, and universities from 40 different countries around the world. Romer was a featured speaker on the topic of grain sorghum use and functional food and beverages, representing a new life market. Bright Minds are dedicating their lives to science for sorghum. The talent pipeline for novel sorghum discoveries is robust, said Sexton Bowser. As a farmer, I am excited to see the global momentum translate to results in my field. The trade mission was sponsored by KDA and funded in part through a cooperative agreement with the U.S. Small Business Administration using a state trade expansion expansion program grant. The trade mission served to identify potential new end uses for sorghum. Global trade is a key economic engine of U.S. agriculture and rural America, including Kansas. Over the past three years, Kansas has exported nearly 62 million in agricultural commodities to South Africa, primarily cereal grains. That's a quick check of your midday ag news. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. When many hear the word adventure, they think of climbing to mountaintops, traveling oceans, and hand gliding. But there's research saying that maybe adventure and what people see as adventure is changing over time and how it could help agritourism. We find out more here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Today I'm talking with James Anderson. He's a member of the Adventure Travel Trade Association. And James, you spoke at the Great Plains Symposium in Kearney. But just talk to us about what you're seeing here and a change from what you may say is hardcore adventure more to what we're calling soft adventure, where folks are a little bit more laid back in the activities that they're, they're enjoying and liking to do. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. So adventure, when I normally say that, people think of, you know, summiting Everest or they think about climbing K2. But adventure has really changed. And we've seen climbing go from the number one thing that people are interested in and down to number six. And now the number one thing people are interested in is backpacking, followed by trekking and hiking. Really accessible things. Mountain biking has just made a new appearance on that list. And when I look at an area like Nebraska, I think this is the land of opportunity for something like an adventure product. And adventures, again, as you're saying, they're becoming more or less from cresting the highest peaks to more enjoying the outdoor world being with nature. So when you look at Nebraska and you call it a hotbed or the next great possible spot for this type of adventure, what are you seeing in terms of activity there? Yeah, absolutely. So when we look at adventure, it's normally comprised of three things. We want people to be outside, we want people to be doing something active, and we want people to be interacting with the local culture. So I think when you have an area like Nebraska, you know, if you've got something like an agritourism project, Product, or you've got something like a light adventure product, maybe it's bird watching or, or walking along the plat or something like that, you're able to add some of those local experiences and local flavor to push people a little bit, maybe not so much physically, but maybe culturally a little bit to try something they might not have tried before and create that sort of adventurous experience and connection with the place. Now, is there spots in the U.S. or in British Columbia across the world that are already taking advantage of this type of soft tourism or soft adventure? Absolutely. I just came back from uh, Banff, Alberta, which is typically known for its skiing and, and mountain climbing and things like that, but some of the most popular things that people were doing when I was out there was snowshoeing. People were going uh, on walking tours. They were doing craft brewery tours and, and walking from place to place or biking from place to place. So I think those are all great examples of a soft adventure product that's easily accessible to lots and lots of people and doesn't have that high barrier to entry. And for and for ag producers, they're experiencing low commodity prices right now. They see this agritourism as something to maybe help the operation and its cash flow. What are some things they 
they need to think about when they first start to move into this adventure business. Hey, I'm glad you brought up cash flow because I think agritourism is a perfect way to help people in that business throughout the year, right? So things to think about would be, you know, designing the experience. I think it all starts with experience design, realizing what you have and really playing to your strength. I was telling you a story just a little bit ago about my family who lives in another country, but people are coming to pay money to shear their sheep now on their farm. They would have never imagined that years ago. So some of the most uh, simple things in your job that might be very unique and interesting to someone else are often the things that people overlook when they're creating their products. So designing that experience and really creating a start point, uh, you know, a high point of the experience and a goodbye. That's really what it all comes down to is really designing that experience throughout. And for folks who want to know more about your association and what you do to help create some of these soft adventures or just adventure in general, maybe bounce some ideas off you, what's the best way to find out about that? Yeah, please get in touch with us. Adventure.travel is the website address, uh, and we'd love to hear from you. That again, James Anderson with the Adventure Travel Trade Association talking about the change that we're seeing at Adventure and how you may be able to implement it into agritourism. Keep listening to the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports. Here's Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, Dallas is hosting the NFL Draft. The Giants pick second tonight after the Cleveland Browns. The Jets go third, followed by the Browns and then the Broncos. Now, there are plenty of top quarterbacks available. USC's Sam Darnold, Oklahoma's Baker Mayfield, UCLA's Josh Rosen, and Wyoming's Josh Allen. There's also Penn State running back Saquon Barkley and North Carolina State defensive end Bradley Chubb, who feels that he should go first. I'm a humble guy, but when it comes to stuff like this, I'm very competitive. Um, I'm a guy that's going to give you 100% every play, take no plays off. And as you can see on the film, I'm a relentless pass rusher, relentless guy that's going to either, if it's pass, if it's run, I'm always going to get after the ball and I'm always going to run to it. So um, I feel like that's one of the reasons why I should be the, uh, the number one overall. This year's deep drafted quarterback lacks just one thing, a consensus top pick. None of the mock drafts heading into tonight's actual draft seem to even put them in the same order. Well, the Husker baseball team will start a non-conference series against Nevada tonight at Haymarket Park. The series between Nebraska and Nevada is tied at 2-2 all-time, dating back to their first meeting in 1986. Now, all four of the previous meetings were played at a neutral site. The two teams last met in 1994. Now, Nevada, they've been decent this year. The 21-16 overall, 14-6 in the Mountain West. Of course, the Huskers have really struggled. Tonight's game starts at 6.30 in Lincoln. The Milwaukee Bucks try to avoid being eliminated at home by the Celtics tonight in tonight's only NBA playoff game. Celtics lead the first round series 3-2. Believe it or not, but it's been 17 years since the Bucks advanced to the second round. Albert Pujols moved a little closer to a major milestone last night, but the Angels saw their team record 11-game road winning streak come to an end. Pujols is now within six hits of 3,000 after slamming his 619th home run in the Angels' 5-2 loss at Houston. And the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs begins tonight with games in Washington and Las Vegas. The Penguins meet the Capitals in the Eastern Conference semifinals for the third year in a row. In the expansion, Vegas Golden Knights host San Jose in the first game of the Western Conference semifinals. The Sharks are trying to reach the conference final for the fourth time in the last nine seasons. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
Clear skies in Nebraska tonight, lows in the 30s. I'm Dave Schroeder. Authorities now say five people have been taken to hospitals after an explosion rocked a large refinery in Wisconsin. Superior Fire Chief Steve Panger said that six were taken to hospitals in nearby Duluth, Minnesota, after the explosion today at the Husky Energy Oil Refinery. The Superior Fire Department later updated that number to five. The fire chief says there are no known fatalities. Authorities don't know the extent of injuries. The fire is out. A contractor who was inside the building told a local television station that the explosion sounded like a sonic boom and that it happened when crews were working on shutting the plant down for repairs. The 2018 legislative session is in the books, but contrary to popular belief, a Nebraska lawmaker has duties all year round. There will be committee meetings and interim hearings over the summer and planning for next year's 90-day session. Gothenburg Senator Matt Williams says tax reform is still the big looming task ahead. I think we all want high-quality education for K-12. We want uh, good roads to drive on, police protection. We want the bad guys locked up. We want our state colleges and our university system to be top-notch. And it's a lot to pay for. And uh, I think we have to match those expectations that we have with the dollars we have available. And that's why in a a diverse state like we have, where we have um, rural areas, we have urban areas, and we have inner city areas, to get everyone to agree on a package is problematic. But that's what we will continue to work for, and that's what I am committed to doing. Senator Williams' priority bill for the session was LB-496, which was signed by Governor Pete Ricketts. The legislation would authorize rural communities to include the construction of workforce housing as part of a redevelopment project eligible for tax increment financing under the Community Development Law. The U.S. Geological Survey reports several small earthquakes in northern Oklahoma, including three near the tiny town of Renfro near the Kansas border and about 100 miles north of Oklahoma City. No injuries or damage were reported. A western Kansas sheriff has been charged with selling a gun to a felon and falsifying training records. The U.S. Attorney's Office announced that Ness County Sheriff Brian Whipple was indicted on three counts of wire fraud and one count of selling a firearm to a convicted felon. Whipple faces up to 10 years on the firearm charge and up to 20 years on each wire fraud count plus fines. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Reaching out to all aspects of the beef checkoff. That's the goal of the chairman of the Cattlemen's Beef Board. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dodge, Nebraska beef producer Joan Ruskamp talked about some opportunities that they've had to promote more about beef. The North American Meat Institute, or NAMI as we often call it, is one of many contractors to the checkoff program. And and so just to kind of clarify, the checkoff dollars um, through the, the regulations, I'll call it the act and order, of how we can do business, we need contractors who carry out projects such as research, um, on, on how the di- how beef fits into the diet, um, reaching out to consumers, getting that information to them, connecting them. And the North American Meat Institute is in an area of a highly populated part of our country in the northeast part of our country. 
And so some of the things that they do really bring beef to where the people are. And they also um, work with veal. I recently had a visit to veal producers, and, and I'm not sure if we talked about that, but these folks are very passionate about the product they raise, too, and, and pay into the checkoff. And so they're an important reason for us to understand what they do and make sure that their voice is heard when we're deciding how dollars are going to be spent. You know, Joan, that's one area that folks don't know a lot about and the involvement, like you said, that they have in the beef checkoff, and they really do fit that niche market out there for consumers. Right. It's it's so important, first of all, that producers that are listening realize everything we do with checkoff is, is done through producer leadership and producer-made decisions. And what we're trying to do is help our consumers listening to understand what we do, why we do it, and, and why beef is such an important part of the diet. What are some other things that you guys are doing to get the word out in regards? I mean, the Beef Checkoff does so much behind-the-scenes work for this industry and reaching out to those consumers. Right. Some of what um, this last um, conference I was at uh, from the meat conference talked a lot about consumers. You know, you've got Amazon talking about different um I don't want to say takeovers necessarily, but perhaps that with Whole Foods. But the whole marketing of how people are going to get the food that they eat, if it's going to come to them via the UPS or FedEx guy, like a lot of us in the rural area get some of the other products we purchase, or meal kits that you pick up in the store, or or restaurants that will have those um, items ready for you to pick up and take home and eat. There's, There's so much competition and how do we keep beef always part of that and that when people eat it, it's good, you know, that it's tasty. Um, if it's a recipe development, that, that when that recipe turns out, they're going to be happy and satisfied with not only the taste, um, the convenience of it, but that it, it's building them and their families. They're, they're healthier. They're better for it. We have new products coming on the uh, market or are being researched that aren't necessarily derived directly from cattle to provide a similar beef protein and just getting that whole story of why cattle are also good in the environment. So we're not only um, pointing at one end with the consumer about the beef, nutrition and value and recipes, but we also have to tell the whole story of how that, how that beef gets to the plate and why it's a great story. And there's a lot of research dollars, Joan, that are out there from a national perspective all the way down to the state level that are helping to yep. improve all those areas. Yep. Our state beef councils do an excellent job of, of working hard to, to spread dollars, uh, not only in the state and, and really in Nebraska. We know that we're not highly populated with people, but we are highly populated with beef animals. And so we're taking the dollars that we have plenty of in the beef side compared to the state of, say, New York, and we're, we're bringing our dollars to places where people live and helping them understand. I mean, people in the cities or, or don't, who, those who don't have any connection to the farm really don't understand how we do what we do on our farms. And so to increase the transparency of, of how that meat truly is, is raised, how we're providing care for our animals, and, and bringing that to them continues to be part of what we need to do better always on the checkoff and then as producers ourselves. Washington, D.C., what a great place to do some educating about what happens in rural America on these beef farms and ranches. And really, our our trip to D.C. is 
to build and strengthen our relationship with our USDA partners. The USDA has a final stamp of approval on everything we do in the checkoff. And so whatever project is approved, whatever tweet gets out, um, whatever social media post gets out promoting beef in any way when it's, when it's paid for by checkoff dollars, it has to be pre-approved by someone at USDA. And then all of our budget, um, a lot, everything that we do basically, the USDA is at the top of that umbrella of work. And so making sure that we have good relationships there and friendships and, and you know, it's always important to have a good relationship with people you're doing business with. And, and so that was important to us to be able to get there, meet the folks that we're working with, ask them if they have questions for us. They ask if we have questions for them and how we can build the checkoff program. My conversation with Joan Roskamp. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. And we're back on the Rural Radio Network as we get a review of today's livestock futures trade. We're joined by Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yes, sir. What a uh, down day again in the uh, livestock. Uh, as you look through uh, livestock prices, uh, I can count uh, on a couple of fingers which one's uh, we're higher on the day, the rest lower. Uh, cattle, first three months, uh, sharply lower, over with triple-digit losses. Uh, uh, the April contract, uh, higher, and the August of next year, higher, but not by much. And uh, uh, it was a uh, back-and-forth day, and then ended up with uh, weakness uh, uh, after the, basically in, in the mid-session. And a lot of fear that uh, we're going to get into these cattle numbers uh, after uh, the April go off the board and uh, or within the next uh, 60 days. So that put a lot of pressure on, and we got some pretty good uh, selling throughout the day. Same for the feeders. They, uh, uh, the April contract went off the board today at noon. It was the only one higher, triple-digit loss in the May, and then uh, the rest of the months, uh, also down. Over in the hogs, started out lower, stayed lower, triple digit losses first three uh, months. All the uh, contracts uh, appear to be uh, down there uh, as numbers uh, continue to be uh, fearful, uh, making the uh, trade very fearful that uh, we're going to see uh, lower prices ahead. But we're uh, pretty good premium, so. That also explains a lot of this stuff. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. This is the Rural Radio Network. An opportunity to learn more about Margin Protection Program and what it means to the dairy industry is coming up next week. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Rod Johnson is with Midwest Dairy Association and the Nebraska State Dairy Association's Executive Director. Talks about a webinar coming up on May 2nd. Exactly. It's even close to the noon hour, so that'll work out. Everybody hopefully can uh, get online and uh, learn about the changes that have come along in the uh, margin protection program. What are some of the things that will be discussed during this? I mean, it's an I-29 collaboration of a bunch of different folks coming together to be able to put this on. Absolutely. Uh, Marin Bozik, the uh, dairy economist at the uh, University of Minnesota, 
has, is going to be putting this on. He's been very involved in the development and understanding the program and educating uh, dairy farmers about the uh, requirements of the program. And he'll be putting this on, and uh, it will give an opportunity to learn the latest updates. Uh, this program, while it's been around for about four years, uh, it had some problems as far as implementing and actually being useful to our dairy farmers in the past and they made some significant changes so um, Marin will be uh, discussing those changes. Well you know and I know some of the things that it's underway right now for sign up but there is a, a June uh, 1st deadline to get producers to sign up. Now, there is a hundred dollar administrative fee but the nice thing is there is a qualified waiver that dairy producers can apply for when they're applying for the MPP. Absolutely. They've made it very user-friendly, I would say, because uh, the, recognizing some of the challenges in the past where they have uh, set this thing up so that, uh, in fact, just the fact that they reopened enrollment once the program had been revised is a very positive sign coming out of uh, the uh, FSA offices to, to rework with our producers to make sure they understand the program and are able to take advantage of any uh, opportunities. While we wish the prices were high enough that uh, nobody would ever collect on it, uh, it's great to have a backup program like this. What are some of the things that you want Nebraska dairy producers to know about the milk protection program, why it's important to them? Well, the main thing is it's that safety net. Uh, as we know, the prices have been, been low, and uh, under the, the new program, they have changed the way the calculations are made. They have raised the levels of uh, protection. Uh, it's it's a, being done on a month-to-month -month basis now instead of a two-month rolling average. So um, there's just a lot of uh, positive things in here that can help our dairy farmers uh, get through the uh, economics that we're dealing with today. Now, for somebody to be able to get registered for the webinar, can they go to your website? Where do they go to find out more information? They can go to uh, nebraskamilk.org and they can uh, find the registration information right there. Is there any cost for them to participate in the webinar? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. This is a program uh, being sponsored uh, jointly by uh, the <coughs> five state dairy associations, Minnesota, Iowa, uh, Nebraska, South Dakota, and uh, North Dakota, along with the I-29 uh, New University, which includes all the extension educators in the dairy industry in those states. So uh, this is something that, as a dairy industry, we want to provide to our dairy farmers. Again, the webinar is free to dairy producers. It is May 2nd at 1130 in the morning. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with John Payne. Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. While we took a little turn for correction in winter wheat futures, corn and soybeans almost near yesterday's close. What happened today? Well, I, and I think this will be the trend as we go forward. If we, anytime the USDA is going to open their mouth, wheat is probably going to look to move lower. A lot of the news they're going to talk about is based off supply and a lack of demand, and uh, just not a lot there that's going to get price uh, price moving. So this morning's export numbers weak again for wheat. Uh, nothing really to write home about for either any of the commodities, but wheat uh, in general is uh, is probably in the crosshairs of another correction from the USDA in the next WASDE report. But 
At this point, the story really is more on the supply side with wheat and its future supply. You have the winter wheat crop in the southern part of your listening area. Um, I'd imagine those folks are still very uncertain about what they're growing. And then up north, they're not even in the ground yet, as we mentioned before on the, on the radio. A lot of ice fishing still going on. So uh, that is probably the main concern with wheat. Uh, but demand is certainly not helping uh, the bullish cause here. Well, and then the dollar index is uh, rallying again today against foreign currencies. Yeah, I, I will say the the dollar itself against the the euro and the yen, and you're going to get that reflected in the in the uh, dollar index. That, that's been stronger. But uh, Goldman Sachs came out earlier this week with a report that they they think the uh, the rail is going to correct the other way here. That uh, they're going to see some strengthening down in Brazil, which I think only helps uh, U.S. bean prices that are really torn right now between good crush demand, I mean, almost historically good crush demand, uh, versus uncertain export demand. And, and I think this, that's a, a fair way to put it. Uh, the push and pull on soybeans is really going to be more felt with U.S. weather this summer. Right now there isn't a whole lot of story, so I think we're kind of stuck here in the, in the range between maybe the low 10, 10 area, all the way up to the 1060 area. Uh, to break out of that, I think you need summer weather problems and you need the reality correct. I'd like to see that uh, kind of analysis from the bigger banks that they are expecting a stronger rail in the coming weeks, coming months. I think that only helps the U.S. producer. And I guess maybe there's going to be pressure in soybeans if more guys up in spring wheat country will switch to soybeans up there. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, at this point, I, I have a hard time believing we're going to get too much of a, of a change in the coming USDA report. But if you're looking for a kind of a bullish playoff, whether your corn is it, you get the Brazilian story. Uh, combined with, you know, shrinking stocks in China. In all in all, the demand that we saw today, even though slower, is still very good for this time of the year. So I expect U.S. corn to stay in demand for the next couple of months, and then it's all about summer supply for the, for the big push-up. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielsagmarketing.com.